both here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 231. I had a conversation with Taylor Conley, and he and I did a series of two conversations, actually, because he's only allowed 20-minute increments on the phone. He's incarcerated for aggravated murder and the death of Brian Swalla. Uh, The crime occurred when Taylor was 20 years old. He is now 35 and incarcerated in Washington State. I learned about Taylor on Instagram, of all places, and he has a podcast called Life of a Lifer. And I reached out and heard back from his wife, uh, Cecilia, and she's got a program called Wife of a Lifer. She and I chatted, and she arranged for me to talk with Taylor. All that to say, it was a really interesting conversation. He's a fascinating guy, and certainly doing the best uh, with what he has in inside the prison walls. I mean, he was a young man when the crime was committed. He is now an adult, a full-fledged adult, and does a lot to help others on the inside. He's got uh, community service stuff that he does with people on the outside. He's a musician, an artist. Uh, again, uh, I mentioned he has that podcast, Life of a Lifer. Really interesting guy. And so I, I'm really looking forward to you hearing this episode. Social media stuff. Hey Human Podcast is on Facebook and Instagram and I have my own personal social media, Susan Ruthism, S-U-S-A-N-R-U-T-H-I-S-M, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I try to put different stuff on every platform so that it is interesting. <laughs> I have, to be honest, this past week, I have not been great about posting to my Hey Human stuff. Just haven't been in the mood for some reason, but I need to snap out of that and get back to the business at hand. You can email me, Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Please do that. Uh, There is a links page on HeyHumanPodcast.com that has things that I've researched for every episode. So books, magazines, articles uh, about my guests, whatever I can find that I think is pertinent to the conversation that you would have just listened to. You can find that all information. You can find all that information on the links page. There is now a merch site that makes me very excited. Hey Human is an ad-free podcast, and the merch will help support Hey Human. And you can find that by just going to the Hey Human website, heyhumanpodcast.com, and click on that merch button and be taken to a very safe, secure website that hosts all of the merch that I designed. So definitely check that out. I would really appreciate it. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. That is super helpful. Uh, to learn more about me and other things I do, go to SusanRuth.com. This is a lot of stuff, I know, but, you know, I say it every time. <laughs> so SusanRuth.com. Uh, you can find out about my art and my music and acting and anything else. Uh, there's a mailing list on there. You can sign up for the mailing list. I promise not to harangue you. Uh, The mailing lists only come out about every quarter. Uh, If if you're into music, I have four records, believe it or not, and you can find those under Susan Ruth on iTunes. I'm also on Spotify, but, you know, I encourage people to go to iTunes because it might facilitate you getting a record, you know? Maybe you'll buy a download of the album, and that would be super cool. 
Speaking of music, my friend Sammy and I made a saucy little song. <laughs> and under the name Muskrats, the name of the song is I Can't Bleep You If You Don't Vote. It's a fun song. It's an important song, I think. And um, you can go check that out on the YouTubes. Uh, it's under Muskrats, M-U-S-C-R-A-T-Z. And if you like that song and you want t-shirts that reflect the cheekiness of that song, you can go to muskrats.com and there's a merch store there with stuff I designed. What? Oh my gosh. You could have so many shirts and pencil cases. It's unbelievable. Okay, I think that's it for all that information. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Be kind to each other. Uh, this are, these are weird and trying times, and we are all under pressure. Uh, everyone is going through something, and uh, we got to be there for each other, you know? All right. Take care. I love you. Here we go. You have a prepaid call. You will not be charged for this call. This call is from an inmate at Bafford Creek Correction Center. This call will be recorded and monitored. If you wish to block any future calls of this nature, dial 7 now to accept the Thank you. Hey. Hi, Taylor. How are you? Hey. Good. Can you Good. Hear? I'm all right. How are you? I'm, I'm well. I can't hear you very well. You can't? Hold on. Let me scooch in. Is that better? Yeah. Okay, good. Let me know if at any time you can't hear me. Are you ready to start? Whenever you're ready. Okay, great. Taylor Conley, welcome to Hey Human. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to to talk with me today. You are incarcerated in, are you in Washington State or D.C.? Yes, Washington State. That's my home state. Really? Yeah, I grew up, uh, I grew up in Seattle. In Seattle? Not kidding. Yeah. I was just going to say, I appreciate you having me on here. Absolutely. You know, I'm going to take time out. Yeah, I discovered you completely by accident um, on Instagram one day <laughs> and did a deep dive, and I thought, oh my gosh, he'd be great to talk to, so here we are. I want to jump right in and uh, and start talking about your childhood. Um, you grew up where? I uh, grew up in, in Longview, Washington. I know it well. And you... Oh, really? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Were you troubled as a kid, sort of drugs, alcohol, the usual suspects in a town where it's always raining? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I was. I, uh, I did start, like, smoking cigarettes and drinking and then smoking pot and then, uh... You know, I ended up going to this place when I was 15 called Tranquility Bay. Uh -huh. or two different places, actually. One was called Casa by the Sea and the other Tranquility Bay. They're like these behavioral modification programs. And one was in Mexico and the other one was in Jamaica. And so, like, the, either you can look into those a little bit if you ever wanted to. They're, they were like WWASP behavior modification programs and they were, uh, were pretty harsh and it had a big effect on me like 
when I came back from there, I was like 16, and, and that's when I started doing like harder, harder type of drugs. A lot of those places are in the news right now because of the abuse, the sexual abuse, the, the physical abuse, and the torment that kids went through at the hands of the people that were supposedly helping them be better people. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, it was, it was like pretty traumatic to me. I didn't realize how much of an effect it had on me until like later on when, you know, years had passed and I'd grown up and then kind of just like trying to figure out myself, you know, trying to figure out what went wrong, like what happened with me. Sure. And I, I can track it back to, you know, of course, to get myself into that position to begin with, I was doing the wrong things, but not to the extent that that place had, had the uh, traumatic effect on me. Like it really did do something, some damage to me mentally. Did you tell your and, parents uh, or your parent when you came back from the first one what it was like and not to send you to the second one or would they even listen to you? Well, I went, I went directly from the first one to the second one. So it was like they, it, it, was, it wasn't working for me, the first one. So they just took me directly to the second one. And the, the way that that place worked was you didn't really get to talk to your parents. So they didn't really have any idea of what was going on because they make they paint the picture to them that like, oh yeah, everything is good. And sure. oh, this, you know, this stuff is working. But obviously the first one wasn't working. So they made the decision to send me to this other one, which was this Tranquility Bay place. That was like one of the worst ones out of all those programs. And so, were you, abu were you abused there? Physically, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like it was, you know, some of the things that took place were like, you'd get locked in a room for days at a time where you had to lay on your, like basically on your stomach, on your face with your hands down to your side just all day long. You know, the only time you'd get breaks was like to have meals. Ugh. I'm sorry you had to experience that. It's awful. And then if you didn't comply with their instructions, like if you didn't comply with that, they'd come in and rough you up. You know, like come in, slam you down on the ground and grind their knees into your back and shit like that. Like twist your arms yeah. and stuff until you stopped, stopped resisting. There. Were you able to get sober at all sorry. in your younger life? Um, so... After I got back from that place, I, I ended up going to live with my father for a while and then kind of got kicked out onto the streets when I was about 17. And I just kind of took off from there. And I ended up in, in jail a couple of times and I got sober during those times. Yeah. And then shortly, like I'd get out of jail. I, I think I went to jail two or three times between the time I was 18 and 20 and uh, I would do all right for a little while and then and then I'd get back into doing drugs and that's what winded me up in, in prison right now you know hanging out with the wrong people doing the wrong things and uh, you know being being messed up on drugs got me to the position to where I'm at now at 20 years old I, I got arrested and and charged with aggravated murder which is the the worst crime that you can possibly be charged with and uh, sentenced to life 
life without the possibility of parole in prison. I've been in prison for 15 years now. It's something I didn't even do. But, I, you know, I can't. I read the I case files. Really, I read the court files. And yeah. uh, it's interesting to me that the the it seemed like you got the worst of the sentences. And even though witnesses recanted and you had said something in one of your appeals that that some of the witnesses were trying to get off of their own uh, accusations or their own uh, crimes that they had committed and were being penalized for that they were trying to uh, shorten those sentences by giving up someone else no that's absolutely what what took place and then they they wanted me to give somebody else up and that, because I wouldn't do that they basically gave me the the worst crime possible like like literally the worst crime possible is what I, I was facing the death penalty and because I was so young they didn't they didn't give me the death penalty they just gave me life without the possibility of parole when you're 20 years old and you hear that sentence coming down on you I mean, my God, there must have been so much going through your mind. And at that point, I assume you weren't sober yet. Well, you know, when I when I first went to jail, I, you know, things come through jail. People come to jail and they bring stuff with them. So I was still partaking in, in like, things yeah. on a regular basis at that point. But towards the time when I went to my trial and everything like for the last few months before I went to my trial I, I was I was pretty sober like I didn't I didn't really use anything up until that point but at the same time it just didn't seem real from what I remember about it like it just it didn't seem like it was real like it didn't register to me until like after I was in prison for a few years you know mm -hmm. that uh that, that this was really like happening. What yeah, were the first? Me. Did you did you make friends right away? Did, were you? I mean, I assume that that's a way to stay safe in prison. Well, I I knew I I knew a lot of people already because I'd been you know in that underworld in that world for for quite a while. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I knew quite a few people, and I did end up having some issues when I first went to the big, you know, to the joint, to the uh, Walla Walla, the Washington State Penitentiary. I had, I got, I got into some trouble when I went there, and kind of, uh, I guess I don't know. Um, I wouldn't say like prove yourself, but just not show that you're not like weak I guess is that makes sense. the way that I felt yeah and so I I did end up getting in trouble and then they shipped me across the state to another prison and, and I spent like eight or nine years at, at this other prison and I ended up you know after I ended up still getting in trouble for you know, a few years, like my first four or five years inside, I, I was getting myself into trouble because I didn't really, uh, it's not that I didn't care, but it's like I, I, I just got sent for the rest of my life in prison and I didn't, wasn't too concerned about if I was going to get in trouble or not at that point. And then um, it started to 
look into different things. Like I, I started to grow up a little bit. You know, I, was, I got to be around the age of 26, 27 years old and was like, man, there's more to life than this. And I started, I, I really got into art, doing art. And like, I don't know, I just, it just kind of, as time went on, I, I started to look into more positive aspects of things. Like, what can I do with my life? You know, what, mm -hmm. I'm not just gonna settle for this. I'm not just gonna keep screwing up and doing the same things. And uh, by that point, by the way, I haven't, I haven't used any drugs in over, probably like almost 14 years now. Mm -hmm. And and so, which I feel like is that, that's a, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I feel, I feel like that's a feat in and of itself because having interviewed other people in prison, drugs are readily available there. So that's really about a choice right. that you made to stop. Yeah, you know I I did I made it as soon as I made the choice. I mean I did that before I even went to my my trial when I was in in jail. I just decided one day I said you know what. I'm not gonna do drugs no more because that's what really got me here. That's what put me in this position to begin with is, is drugs. And I'm tired of screwing my life up. So, you know what, I'm never doing drugs again. How does one find at hope? At that point, I just haven't done it. How does one find hope when, when, how do you find hope when you know you are facing a lifetime in prison? How do you, like from the very beginning when you decided, okay, that's it, I'm done fucking around, I'm gonna get right. Like, what was the turning point other than getting in trouble? Because people get in trouble and they don't necessarily change their path. Something must have given you that inspiration other than just like, oh, I'm tired of the fighting or whatever well i just was tired of the, the whole drugs thing wasn't necessarily a turning point for me i got in plenty of trouble after that without being on drugs <laughs> okay. like in prison life <laughs> doing stuff that i wasn't supposed to be doing it wasn't necessarily correlated to drugs in in my years in prison but i just decided i didn't want to be like i wanted to have control of my life i didn't want to be out of out of control of you know things that that happened to me so i was like i'm not doing drugs and why i was tired of feeling that way i think what it was was this is what happened right when i was in county jail i had somebody that was in there that was getting these uh, oxycodones or oxycontins or something like that because they had a, a medical injury right mm -hmm. and so i was getting them from them and I, I was getting him from him for a couple of months. Every day I'd get him from him. And then that guy left and I got really sick. Mm. And I was like, man, this is not where it's at. I don't want to do this anymore. I was like, I don't want to, why am I doing this? And I don't know, I just came to a realization. I was like, man, I don't want to do drugs anymore. I don't want this feeling in my life. I don't like this. Something else had a control over me. And so I just, that was, that was what it was about for me, for the, for the drug thing was like, I just, I, I don't want to feel like that. I don't want to be in that position to where I'm powerless, like something else is controlling me. I'm curious, did the guards, do they realize, I mean, how did they not realize that people are on drugs and dealing drugs? 
And um, do they try and step in and say, hey, let's let's get you sober or let's get you some help? Or do people just sort of do what they do and that's that? Well, in prison, I don't know. I don't know about county jails. Like county jails, different than prison. But in prison, like there's definitely a, a huge uh, cat and mouse game of of trying to catch people doing drugs. <laughs> and they, uh, you know, it's just like a repetitive deal. These guys that that are junkies and stuff that just continue to do it and. You know, they they figure out a way to get it, and uh, yeah, they they try to catch them. They try to catch them, and uh, and then they just keep keep doing it over and over again. And yeah, they do you know drug tests randomly and all that kind of stuff. And do you uh, take the position of mentor with people now? I do. I try to. I you know I try to set an example. And I do some uh, some work with some some classes. Like, there's a class that I really like that I've gotten involved with, you know, in the last couple of years. It's called Redemption. And it was started by a guy that was in prison. I think he's out of prison now. And then a couple of other guys that helped to create the class. And it's all about, like, you know, just taking responsibility, accepting you know, the things that, um, you know, accepting responsibility for things that you've done and working on creating a better outcome in the future. Mm-hmm. And it's a really great curriculum. Like, I've, I've really enjoyed I took the class myself years ago. And then when I, I, I came to the prison I'm at now and ended up getting involved with the Toastmasters Club. I don't know if you're Yeah, that, of course. I met sure. some guys that are... Oh, okay, yeah. So I've I've been doing that for a couple of years. And then I met some guys that were doing this redemption thing, and they asked me. They said, hey, you want to come and be a, a facilitator slash, like, mentor type thing for this redemption program? And I was like, it's like yeah, I'll check it out, see what it's about. So I went through this training course, and I really ended up liking, like, I, when I went through it, it was it was like, it was like, yeah, that was pretty good. You know, it got me thinking about some different things and you know different perspectives on stuff and then uh but when i went through the the facilitator thing i really i really enjoyed like okay this has a lot of potential to really make some changes and now i've I've facilitated like three classes now oh that's great me and another guy and the impact that it that it has on people like seeing that that like that's what really something that really makes me happy is like being able to take and make a difference like open up somebody else's mind by sharing my story you know I share my story with people and they see that hey this guy's serving life and he hasn't given up well maybe you know my 10 year sentence isn't so bad after all maybe I can still I still got something left to look forward to you know I should start working on changing myself this guy can do it I can do it yeah and as you as you get closer to spending more time in prison than you did out of prison, are you still working toward appeals or having the case reopened and looked at? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I have something in the court of appeals right now, and I haven't heard any response back. It generally takes 
a lot of time to hear the response back, but I do. I, I have like so many different grounds of appeal. Just crazy. I can't even believe that I got convicted. And in fact, I, I just had recently, I got the whole video to my trial and I had some independent people watch it and they're like, I can't believe that you got found guilty. There's no way that they proved that. And yeah, kind of some of the things that, that, that you were saying about like these people that testified in exchange for trying to get time off of their sentence or in fact did get time off of their sentence for their testimony, changing their testimony several times. There's just like so many different things that they did that were corrupted. And, and there was something about a cell phone that would place you not at the crime scene. Yeah, there was some, something in there about something like that. It was like, and like the, the main person that the, the whole reason of why I even got brought into it got up and testified and said that, that I didn't even do it. Yeah. Yeah. So. He, re he rescinded his, yeah, rescinded his testimony. How does one, let's, you know, the, the burden of proof is on the courts, firstly, and um, certainly there are people in prison who have you not have committed. 60 seconds remaining. Oh. Certainly, we'll continue on if we you get caught. You want me to call you back? Yeah, that'd be great. Hello. Hey there, Taylor. So, uh, my question was, so the burden, the burden of proof is on the courts to prove whether a person is innocent or guilty. And that system does fail, probably fails a lot. And so, prison is filled with people that likely did not commit the crimes that they have been accused and prosecuted for. So, my big question is how do you not hate everyone around you how did you figure out how not to hold that in your heart um you know i guess because i'm not like an like a just a regular guy like i wasn't just a regular dude out there that was doing the right things and um you know on the on the right pathway and then I just got picked up on this thing and, and convicted for the rest of my life you know I was out there doing the wrong things mm -hmm. I was out there I was out there right in the middle of, of all the all the stuff that was going on that was that was wrong and so I look at it like this actually is as messed up as it is whenever I start thinking like man and I, and I get depressed or like angry or upset that this is what happened, this is the outcome. I, I look at it like this, like this might have saved my life in all mm. honesty. Like if, I, if I'm honest with myself, I don't know that I necessarily would have changed my ways if I would have been able to make the progress that I've made with myself if it weren't for this situation like the situation itself has has helped me and now that I now that I'm aware of that now now I really I really do want to get my life back you know I would I would love to be able to write the injustice that's that's been done because you know it doesn't just start with how they get it wrong like it starts from the very beginning that's one of the things that's in my appeal one of the biggest things that's in my appeal is the process in which they pick the jury 
who found me guilty was corrupt from the very beginning of the trial before the trial even started when they're going through the jury selection process and mm -hmm. how they how they picked the, the jury and the, picked the most guilt guilt prone jurors like there is a juror on there who when they asked her like hey do you think that the fact that you had somebody in your family had like a, a break in occur in their house and they were had something happen to them do you think that that would impact the way that you uh, did you know you were able to f find this um trial right here like and they were like yeah i think that it would but yet they still kept that person on my jury and there were several people that had stuff like not, maybe not exactly like that but stuff that they should have never been on the jury like they were likely to find me guilty regardless of what was said because you know the way that they they think they're not just thinking like a impartial you know, person yeah. they have to actually prove that this guy is guilty yeah which never happened and so i don't, I don't know i just think that that does make me it that makes me angry that, that that's allowed to happen like the power that they have if they think that you're guilty they're going to get you to be guilty they're going to find you guilty if they think that you had anything to do with it whether you did what you're being charged with or not they're going to get you and it, especially in my view like it, yeah it's, it's it's crazy yeah the fact that you're now a grown man and who you are is so different from who you were as a boy as as we all are you know we're all different than the kids we used to be and the choices we've made it seems to me that there should be some sort of a, a possibility. I know that the crime, punishment for the crime is life without parole, but when someone is so young, it just, it seems off balance to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I definitely agree with you. And I don't know if you're familiar at all with the brain science um, yes. of 25. Yeah. Okay. So I know out there in California where you're at, they've already actually changed the laws to where if you're under 25, when you committed some type of a crime, whether if you, if you got sentenced to life or whatever, they take you back and resentence you to get parole where you're eligible for parole after a certain amount of years and in washington state they have not done anything like that yet they keep talking about stuff like that like you know and especially when you have mitigating factors of things that you know traumatizing experiences or uh, troubled upbringings that took place to where it kind of had a big impact on you as a youth and kind of stunted your growth and as far as maturing and, and being able to make good decisions because it's a proven fact that youthful uh, kids don't make the greatest of yeah. decisions. Right, you know? their brains and, aren't fully uh, formed. And also economics. If you grew up and were not of means, you were given, you know, the people are given this, the states assigned attorneys you may not get the same sort of treatment or not may you won't get the same treatment and that's a gross injustice absolutely people can't help absolutely. that they I were born poor i just think that it's it's incredible that they could hold 
somebody for the rest of their life inside a prison regardless of what they've done with themselves or shown or proven i mean i know there are people out there that are terrible you know they're they're broken their brains are broken and they shouldn't have the chance but for people that have turned their life around not only are they giving back to the community within the prison system and to their peers but they also are there's an extension of that outside to the community at large which you i want to get to because i know we only have a limited amount of time but you also do that you have a podcast life of a lifer you have designed conviction i want to talk about that uh and then the inside outside magazine so let's get into that a bit how did how did that all come to be well for years i wanted to do something outside of here and but that still was involved with with people in here that are doing positive like something similar with me like that want to have an outlet to do something positive and and do something with themselves and show show that and maybe make a difference to you know some somebody out there that is traveling down that same pathway because that's my ultimate goal is like to be able to help youth at risk kids to not take the same pathway that I took or end up in the same situation and so like it just started out with the magazine idea I, I, I kept working on that with my wife who wasn't really like thinking that it was possible to do it until I just I kept pushing it because I'm really into artwork and I've been doing that for a long time and it's had a big impact on me like on just doing the artwork like learning learning how to do art and like thinking in I don't know just outside of the box type thinking and uh, so I, I was able to finally talk her into starting this magazine after a couple of years and uh, we got the magazine going to where it would be sent to people inside a prison across the country as well as to be available for people out there in the public and kind of have a place to, and a platform to showcase positive works of people and people that are you know artists and trying to do something with themselves besides just sit in prison and run mm-hmm. away and it's focused you know more so we try to f- focus on people that are serving longer sentences to give them opportunities because generally there's less opportunities available for people serving longer sentences and then and then as that came about the the magazine was what kind of where we started that and then I got into doing the the podcast, which has really taken off and become pretty popular. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a great outlet to tell the story and then to be able to involve people that are outside that serve sentences inside a prison that are doing something with themselves. So then we're able to incorporate people that have been able to accomplish stuff outside into the magazine that goes inside because I think that that really shows people, hey, look, you could really do something with yourself regardless if you've been to prison or not. Look at what these guys have done. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of gets people back involved and, and gets people a way to give back and, and show, like, these success stories. That, look, people that go to prison are not all just screw-ups. They're not all just coming back to prison. There is people that have been able to take and, and show 
you know, that they've done something like. And, and then, uh, you know, the design conviction has just really transpired into like a, a big entity that kind of supports all these different things. Like we're doing music. Uh, I really like writing music and I've worked, been able to work with a couple of different artists and get some of my songs made into, made into like, you know, music. And I, I felt like if you can really visualize it and you can dream it, it, it can definitely be possible. Like you can't accomplish it. Like I wrote a book and I got that published. I'm still working a little bit more on like finalizing it and everything and I got I got a a Dave Dahl Dave's Killer Bread the founder of that another guy that went to prison served a long sentence got out and had tremendous success and we've been fortunate to work with him as well and, and he's going to help me and write like a forward to the book I'm pretty excited about that's great that. what's the book called and so The Convicted Entrepreneur <laughs> I love it it's basically it's basically like kind of a guide to if you were whether you're in prison or not in prison you wanted to start something for yourself like a some type of a business or some type of organization or something or maybe you just wanted to get an online deal going on like it kind of gives you a step-by-step guide on how to do everything that that i've done basically that's great you mentioned being married um, how in the world do you maintain a healthy, lovely marriage, which obviously you two are great partners. She helped me facilitate this um, this call. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, how do you maintain that that healthy place in your relationship? Well, you know, it is definitely difficult and trying and on um, both of our parts, maybe so more for her than for me. I don't know. I, I think that it's the other way around, but in all reality, it probably is. And it's probably more for her. But we, from the very beginning, established, like, just open communication was, like, a big part of it. You know, like, just really being real with each other and opening up and just creating, like, such a solid foundation for a relationship that we've been able to get to know each other maybe in a way that a lot of conventional relationships don't really get to know each other when you have visits and you're there all day long and all you have to do is either play cards or talk to get to know each other like you really get in depth and get to know somebody and that is something that you know we've we've had a lot of the opportunity to do and then we just built upon that and you gotta get really creative in different ways of like doing activities you know and so I think that having this this uh, project or this this company that we've worked on growing has contributed to the activities that we've had and my, my mom and uh, you know her, her husband Jerry they've also been quite involved in the family aspect of you know being able to and and they've helped us out with with our business as well as you know been sponsors for 
some of the projects that we've we've been at, like the magazine. Uh, Jerry's a sponsor for the magazine, and like the the impact of just having you know we've been able to involve more people in our family, and and even though I'm not there present physically, like we've had a real relationship to where we're able to function, we're able to do things, and and then we've. Um, and then, you know, it took a lot of time, like, I want to say almost five years, like, since since we started seeing each other, I guess you would call it, that we, we were able to get our visits, like, to where we have conjugal visits. Oh, that's nice. So that's, that's also good. a big... That helps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that also helps. <laughs> so... <laughs> And how long, um, how long have you been married? Well, we've been married four years. Okay. Or four and a half, I guess. And yeah. did you meet through the pen pal system? Or? Well, we did. We did. She was living in uh, Atlanta, Georgia when, when we met. And it's been... It's been five years since I met her. We've been married for four years. Wow. They're over five years, I guess. Well, five and a half years, maybe. So what would you like to see coming in the future for all these projects, and, and the, what's the big goal? Aside from, hopefully, you're winning your appeals and and being on the opposite side of the prison walls, but... Well, I mean, that's the big goal. But me personally, my, my personal big goal, like I said, when I found a purpose that was something to live for that was good and that is to really make an impact on other people that maybe otherwise wouldn't because I'm able to share my story with them and hopefully be able to make a change within the prison system mm. like between some of the different programs that I've been able to get involved with, like the biggest ones that really make a change, I think, are the ones that were started by people that are, that are inside of prison, that understand the prison system and what it is and what it needs, what it really needs. Like everybody talks about prison reform or criminal justice reform, but they don't ever talk about, okay, well, what is that? Like, what does that really look like? And the things that, that they're doing I don't understand what it is that they're actually doing to promote that. So that's kind of like, like what we're doing here, what, what my ultimate goal is, is to really provide a platform, provide something that uh, gives people the opportunity to create that change, people to mm -hmm. flourish and do something with themselves. And, like, give them encouragement, you know, give them a platform to actually, if they got something that they want to do, to shine on, you know. And I, I really think that from within the prison is where the actual change is going to happen in the, in the rehabilitation department. Because when you force people into these classes or try to do, and there's not many of them, not many, like, real classes that actually help people. So when you provide a way in which you could actually help people maybe maybe make a difference. That's that's my whole thing and, and in the end I'd like to work with helping youth at risk kids that are 
at risk to end up in the situation that I ended because I was one of those kids. I was in that youth at risk program and I ended up where I'm at because I never had like a mentor, somebody that was able to break it down to me. So I feel like if I could share my story with kids like that, that, that maybe that would make a difference. Yeah, and it's been proven that education and these classes and hope and support leads to low, low recidivism rates. I don't know why that math doesn't make sense to people. Absolutely. You have 60 seconds remaining. We're almost out of time, but every dollar invested into education of somebody, like, reduces the likelihood of them coming back, like, significantly. Yeah. Taylor, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I'm going to put links on the website for all of your stuff. No, thank you very much for all your time. And maybe maybe I can interview you on my podcast and get to know a little bit more about what it is that you're doing. I'd love it, yes. You have 30 seconds remaining. <laughs> I was like, beat the clock game. <laughs> yes, I would love to. <laughs> have a wonderful day and uh, big love and hang in there and thank you for everything you're doing. No, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you have a, you have a great day. Okay, bye. Appreciate it. All right, you take care. You too. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.